the number one thing our state can do is not just hammer restaurants with extra regulations or forced unionization or just bizarre overreach from state departments. I mean, just stay away from these restaurants. Let the market work on them. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? Summer's upon us. We are a few days away from Memorial Weekend. Long weekend ahead. Recording early. Joe's got a vacation he needs to get to, and he said he needs to get this thing out. So it's a Tuesday instead of a Thursday, but that's a good thing. Are you uh, going anywhere for this big Memorial Day weekend? I am. I'm going camping. Nice. We bought, nice. We bought the pop-up last fall, so this is trip number two this year. Well, going supposed over to be to, good? Yeah, going over to Lakeport. So Port Huron area, avoid the traffic. Nice. Where, Lakeport is in Port Huron? It's close enough. Hmm. Close enough to call it. Nice. So, yeah, what are you doing? We got to go up to the cottage and do all the work so the um, rest of the summer can be nice up there. Uh, but it's going to be so nice. It's going to be a tough weekend to want to do work because it's going to be like 80 and sunny. Oh, really? I actually haven't even looked. Yeah. Oh. Be, but you got to do it. Yeah. Very nice. Cool. All right. Well, we have a lot of content to get through because our last episode was more of a round robin of interviews. So let's get to it, shall we? Let's do it. Pineapple Express. Lots been going on. A lot of coverage from Chicago over the last weekend with the National Restaurant Show. What have you seen? What are your takeaways? We may be the two worst people to give an update on what is going on at the National Restaurant Show over the last week because we may be the only two people who didn't actually attend. You could have just ended that sentence at worst people, but I'm glad you just continued it. the worst. Uh, so we're still going to hit because I've heard very positive reviews, some really good content uh, all the way around. Attendance, very good, which is nice to see. Good. Uh, rebounding post-COVID, which is is always good to see because that's a huge. I mean, have, if you've been in years past, right? Correct. Yeah. So it is just an, an enormous event. People coming from literally around the world to attend this event, and Chicago is a cluster the entire time. You always close your Apple Watch rings when you go to the National Restaurant Show. That's I for sure. Don't know what that means. Noted. Hmm. So. Good content all the way around. National Restaurant Association back at the very center of it. Michelle Corsmo doing uh, the CEO, doing several panels. Uh, some of them we'll talk about here in a second. But a couple of the big takeaways, kind of hit on content we've talked about previously in this podcast. Restaurant tech everywhere. AI at the center of everything. Uh, one of the hottest things that people talked about was the AI bartender making bars chatting with you literally Ooh. in real time the old fashions better than the actual small talk as, as as i understand it so far but but intriguing it's like a robot it is not like a robot it is full ai generated uh robot yes making drinks and it has so it's like a screen with the actual with like an animated version of a human being okay but then the the, the robot mechanics itself are making a drink for you whatever you order how does that make you feel? Thirsty. Hmm. <laughs> How does okay. it make you feel? 
terrified? I don't know. I know this is the future. I just... I feel like I've seen several movies where there's like, you know, AI robot bartenders. Why not actually bring this to real life? And it's, you know, it's the reality of the industry. We've talked about this on the workforce for forever. Right. Breaking news. Still a few people short of full employment in in the restaurant industry to to get back to where we need. In Michigan, that number's still getting smaller, a little Mm -hmm. over 20,000, which sounds like a small number compared to where we were, but... By the way, the state is only down 30,000 jobs overall. So for restaurant, uh, leisure, and hospitality, which also includes hotels, that represents a little more than two-thirds of all the the jobs that Michigan is still short uh, from its pre-pandemic employment number, which I find fascinating. So we got to find solutions. Yeah. Well, AI seems to be the reason it is everywhere, or workforce seems to be the reason AI is everywhere. So what else did you see there? So I have seen, first of all, I will say... MRLA was represented very well in Chicago, even though you and I were not there. We had a handful of people from Team MRLA. Let's make a commitment right now. Oh, oh gosh. You and me, that next year, What's With the Pineapple is doing a live podcast, just kind of like the Capitol Day, but hopefully with some better audio quality, uh, on site at the show. On stage. Oh, on stage. Like a live show? We might actually have that much support out there. I'll talk to some people. So many stickers. Hmm. All right, let's let's put a pin in that. That's actually a real idea. Okay, go. Okay. Speaking of being terrified, anyway, I have seen a lot of coverage about this Heinz booth and their remix station. So think Coca Cola, the freestyle machine where you can put in whatever you want, and they have a thousand different flavor options, but for sauces. So for all the different Heinz sauces, so not just ketchup, but like the Heinz 57 sauce and, and, and all the others. They make mustard too, obviously. So anything Heinz. Does it say how many options are available? You know what? I have not seen how many sauces are in the machine. However, there are only two of these machines that have been manufactured. So they re- I think they really started to roll it out at the show. But based on the response and the coverage I've seen in the news and social media, these might be everywhere. Maybe. All right, let me let me be Mr. Contrarian. I love the idea as a consumer. That sounds fun. Maybe it would draw me into a specific restaurant if it if it had one of these. If I'm an operator though, people are gonna mess with this and waste an insane amount of product. They're like, nope, that one's terrible. Let me try another one. Nope, that's still terrible. Let me make another one. To the point where, are, am I sure that that's a good ROI on on my side? I I love the idea. I actually would love to go try it out. I'm a little concerned from an operator side. Sorry, sorry, Heinz, if I'm if I'm squelching the momentum, the big mo coming out of the show. But I don't know. It feels like people would make and, and the price point I would think is a little bit higher. The opportunity cost a little higher than when people make unique beverages uh, With using the, the coffee machine. Yeah. Well, I'll mark Heinz as not a sponsor of this podcast going doesn't forward. Seem, doesn't seem likely. I will say it could attract enough people in if these things are pretty rare, where then they're ordering additional food to make it worth it, attract new customers. I'm thinking Dog Central in Mount Pleasant. Hmm, Interesting. Let's challenge Heinz. Let's prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, Heinz. Send one to the MRLA. (laughs) We will try it out and uh, we will workshop it and then we will talk to members about it. We will talk about it right here on this pod. We'll get a Heinz machine instead of a soda machine in the office. Perfect. Done. Some some people will be happy. All right. What else have you seen from Chicago? Well, I mean, if, if anyone is ever worried that we are not on the, we, we do not have our finger on the pulse of the industry, let me tell you again, the other thing that was talked about a lot, 
labor issues, specifically migrant and labor issues, H2B, something we talk about focused all the time. In fact, I know we're going to talk about this in a second. We were in D.C. last week uh, and spent an awful lot of time talking to Michigan's congressional delegation about the workforce shortage for this industry, the need to deliver a solution for what are called H-2B visas, the temporary work visas. They were front and center at several panels here, and so were the idea of migrants and asylum seekers, those who are here but actually don't have the ability to work, which is frustrating because there are several people here that want the opportunity to start working. You know the industry needs the workforce and the bodies to be able to fill some of the some of the demand out there. And so we're working on policy solutions in DC, but it was front and center on what might have been the signature panel that was moderated by NRA CEO Michelle Corsmo and had a restaurant icon Danny Meyer. Mm. And also and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hope I can say this one properly. But the the keynote with Slutty Vegan founder Pinky Cole. Uh, so there you go. That is a place. That's so, a place. Yes. And that's a person. Just so it's clear, Slutty Vegan is the name of the restaurant, Pinky Cole, name of its founder. I have not eaten. Have you been to one? I have not, but I have, I've heard a lot about it. Yeah. There's none in Michigan. I don't think so. Not yet. But the way, at the rate that they are expanding, yeah. probably pretty soon. Very interesting. Yeah. Hmm. I will say just to circle back on the AI bartender, I did pull up a photo because I was very curious and it's very Sims like, you know, the the popular game from the early 2000s. Very Sims like. Yeah, it it feels like that technology needs to upgrade a little bit to be real, like a physical embodiment doesn't seem like it's that hard to manufacture. Hmm. Interesting. But anyway. All right. Anything else on the show? I think we're good. Let's keep going. So we started talking about how summer is upon us when we started today's podcast. And speaking of that, the Department of Technology Management and Budget predicts that 235,000 teens will seek summer employment this summer. That's a higher number than last year. Higher number than last year, which is good sign, bad sign, smaller number of teens, frankly, that are living in Michigan than ever in the past. I will try not to go go real dark. But the demographic collapse that Michigan is experiencing, you've heard me talk about it before, it freaks me out. We are 49th of 50th. That means 49, 48 other states grew faster than Michigan over the last several years. We are net negative since COVID, and the state is also dramatically older on average than the country overall. It is a demographic ticking time bomb. Bridge Magazine covered this beautifully last week. I, you know, I... It, it concerns me. It should concern the industry as well in terms of its workforce and also, frankly, a customer and clientele base that's going to want to go out in droves and, and be able to uh, meet those needs, right, and, and make sure this industry is, is thriving. So it puts even more pressure, frankly, on a good Pure Michigan campaign to, right. uh, to deliver and bring people from without because we are not keeping them here in Michigan in the numbers that we need to be. But that is not – I know I just went on another rant about this that last week's – Really impressive expose by Bridge Magazine on this is worth a read. If you haven't, it is a little depressing, but we'll move past it. But but yes, uh, the teen jobs at least are a positive trend. More teens. We were concerned coming out of COVID that just teens were just never going to want to work again. Right. And this industry thrives. It is much younger workforce overall. More people start working in this industry versus any other. I believe it's one in three people working at all in any capacity uh, out there in the world today got their start right here in this industry. So uh, good to see that that number is back up for for Michigan. What was give me give me give me some of your early summer jobs? What did you, what did you have? I mean, 
you already know the answer to this, but the, the greatest summer job to ever exist, which is serving ice cream at King Cone in Perry, Michigan. The building's shaped like a giant ice cream cone. I spent 12 summers there, probably, collectively. 12? Yeah. I mean, I, I went back during the pandemic. Are you working there now? Not this summer, unfortunately, no. Hmm. But yeah, that's that's the best job anyone could have. You're in a giant ice cream cone, physical building. I encourage all of our listeners to go check it out. Taught me a lot of lessons about managing stress. You're operating in a small space with five other people with lines down the road. I mean, having ice cream on hand is a good way to manage stress. Sure. What about you? What what was your summer job? I've had so many All those summers ago. I've had so many. I'm not, come on. I've had a lot of jobs. Some of them good. Some of them not great. Maybe the worst was when I worked in a pet supply store with animals, making hardcore minimum wage, which was much, much lower back then. Hardcore minimum hardcore wage. Hardcore minimum wage. Very little prospects for gain, but I was also 15. But, you know, it teaches you a lot of good opportunities. I still think the best the best job, I worked at a country club in West Bloomfield called Tamoshander right after high school, the summers, the first two summers after I graduated high school, and it was great. I made a lot of money. I made great money. I had a lot of friends that were all my friends I made there. Mm -hmm. Um, So workforce that was similar in age. And I, you know, I got to just shoot the breeze with guys in the men's clubhouse all day long, watching golf, watching ESPN, talking sports, talking golf. What a dream. Play golf on Monday. It was a pretty sweet gig. Free golf, I would assume. Yeah. Only on Monday, but yeah. (laughs) Only on Monday. Yeah. It was pretty great. Huh. Well, there's 235,000 teens out there that might apply to one of those jobs. Might I suggest Amishana Country Club? King Cone, Perry, Michigan. (laughs) Okay, the American Hotel and Lodging Association, AHLA as they're referred to, and Oxford Economics released a new analysis report showing that American hotels support 8.3 million jobs, which is equivalent to nearly 1 in 25 jobs nationally. There's some more Michigan-specific breakdown, but it's it's interesting, new, fresh data. And I will say, HLA does a very good job of providing state-specific data, which is very helpful. But generating quite hotels generate quite a bit of income in federal, state, and local taxes and lodging taxes. Billions of dollars. Yeah, I'm just going to jump right ahead to what was going to be in the GA segment because we're on AHLA. Last week, we had a whole contingent from Michigan in for AHLA's called Hotels on the Hill. We met in D.C., met with the Michigan delegation, talked about the importance of the hotel industry. Great crew from Michigan. Michigan had one of the largest delegations of any state. So it was nice to see us well represented. And they did a great job there. I got to be on stage with Chip Rogers, CEO of AHLA, to give an award to Michigan Congresswoman Lisa McLean. Uh, She's been a leader on behalf of the industry, has been really concerned with some of the uh, Department of Labor uh, led initiatives on overtime pay, uh, not to freak anyone out too much, but a new rule forthcoming at some point later this year. Some concerns that that threshold for the exemption is high as $83,000. It's terrifying to even say that number aloud. I wish people could see the face you just made. I, it, it, yeah, it's concerning. It's a very, very big jump from where it is right now. And it would it would be a game changer in a bad way for this industry immediately. But it would that that is such a huge number. It would impact the economy overall. If you're if you're actually not sure whether or not we're gonna plunge into a recession later this year, that's a pretty good way to guarantee we have one. Cool. So 
something we talked about at length with Michigan's delegation uh, on both sides of the aisle. And I think there was some understanding on both sides that that is far too much, too fast to raise the exemption uh, for overtime uh, that quickly, that to that degree. So interesting conversations there. HLA did a great job. And since you brought up some of these stats, I wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about Hotels on the Hill. Absolutely. Love the name, by the way. Love the branding. But yeah, the pictures looked great. Sounds like you guys had some really strong meetings. So very nice. Okay, speaking of AHLA, I know we're not big on plugs on this podcast, but we got to get it in. AHLA is bringing their uh, hotel conference on the road to Michigan. So the Michigan Hotel Conference, powered by MRLA and AHLA, coming up very quickly on Tuesday, June 13th. It'll be hosted at St. John's Resort in Plymouth from 1 to 5.30. Anyone, this is key, anyone can attend this event, member or non-member of the association, if you're in the industry. So um, sign up at mrla.org slash events. It's going to be a really great day. Chip Chip Rogers is going to be in town for it, and you'll be taking the stage with him again. Yeah, join us. Come learn a lot in a short amount of time. And uh, Chip Rogers is pretty... Pretty down to earth guy, good guy for anyone who's in this industry to meet. He's out there. He is that guy. He does hustle, twenty four seven. He's working on behalf of this industry. Uh, so we're happy to host him and, and happy to have that conference coming our way. We should get him on this podcast, actually. I'm sure we could. Let's do it. Fahey Schultz Berzik Rhodes PLC is Michigan's premier attorney for hospitality-related legal services. The depth and breadth of experience within the team enables them to serve as a one-stop resource for clients throughout the hospitality industry. Their diverse client portfolio includes national restaurant chains, regional restaurants, hotels, taverns, entertainment venues, golf courses, liquor stores, as well as breweries, distilleries, and wineries. They have the expertise to assist with corporate formation and structure, engaging new and investors, assisting with local and state licensing matters, all aspects of liquor licensing and violations, real estate matters, including purchase transactions or leases, intellectual property protection, advising on and executing expansion opportunities through franchising or other growth vehicles, purchase and sale agreements, succession planning, and planning and executing exit strategies. Clients also benefit from the experience and insight of lawyers who practice across the full range of legal fields, which intersect with the hospitality industry. When day-to-day employment law issues emerge, the experienced labor and employment attorneys are there to counsel and provide strategic advice. When threatened by legal action, the litigation attorneys are prepared and ready to defend clients' interests. Their full-service approach makes the firm uniquely positioned to help hospitality clients of any size. To find out more, contact Fahey Schultz Berzik Roads today by visiting www.fsbrlaw.com or calling their office at 517-381-0100. Okay, Pineapple Plaudits have a couple things on the list here. This is a couple weeks old, but Mackinac Island was named the 2023 Best Summer Destination by USA Today. Best place to go on vacation. Do you agree? They can't seem to rack up enough awards these days. Last year, we were, if you remember, hosting the Council for State Restaurant Association. So all the. I do remember. Do you? All of the state restaurant associations from across the country on Mackinac Island. And while we were all there, they won yes. the award from Travel and Leisure Magazine. I may be getting the yeah. actual I- order of the name there wrong, but they were the the hotel or they were the summer destination last year. Uh, and here it is, USA Today. I, you know, everyone's kind of figuring it out, which is you know, upside downside. Right. Right. I mean, right. America is now discovering what we've known for a long time, that Mackinac Island is the best and it doesn't get better. 
However, everyone's discovering that Mackinac Island's the best, which means it's, you know, going to be flooded even more. Right. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I mean, positive for the state, but tough as an individual consumer. We'll be there for summer board meeting. I'll be there next week for the Detroit Chamber Policy Conference. That's so right. You talk about uh, an island that gets flooded. It's going to be quite busy there next week. Talk about vacations. <laughs> also, May is Michigan Wine Month in, throughout the state, so we don't have a specific plot it, but I thought it would be interesting if you have a, to talk about our favorite wineries in Michigan and give them a little bit of our own plot it since it is Michigan wine month. I refuse to pick winners, but I'm, let me ask you this in response, red or white? White. Only white? Only white. I don't like Never red. red. No, I do not like red wine. Michigan is actually starting to get a little better at the reds. It's just not for me. Oh, I mean the time of year matters, right? Nope. No, no cab. Not even something lighter? Nope. Pinot Noir? No? No. Hmm. I don't like that when it's not cold. What's your favorite white wine? Pinot Grigio. Or Sauvignon Blanc. Less oaky. Dry. Yeah. Drier the better. Got it. Yeah, I'd agree with that. With all due respect to Chardonnay. Sure. I will say Gravity in South Haven has the best Pinot Grigio that I have ever had. So highly suggest. It's kind of a off the, you know, it's not up north, so... Thought that'd be worth shouting out. I do like that. All right, let's get into, for Fork's sake, government affairs. You already covered hotels on the hill. I don't know if there's anything more you want to cover on that front. Covered a lot of ground. All right. The Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference, the crack? Is that what we're calling it? It's crack. And and some people, purists, will never abbreviate. All right, it's just... The Revenue Estimating Conference, or if you really want to go big, Consensus Revenue Estimating Conference. Yes, some people. This was a big thing over the last week, fire from insiders oh. in Lansing. I, I'm a. I think I'm a little more old school. I don't like to abbreviate that one. Also, okay. because correct doesn't sound great. So you're a purist. Got it. Yeah. So what is it? Why is it important? Well. Different chambers and the administration. Uh, so the Senate, the House, they have different interpretations from their own fiscal agencies about how much revenue is expected. And so they start to build their own budgets in the House, in the Senate. The governor proposes a budget earlier in the year based on these estimates, but they're not all operating from the same assumed revenue. So all these entities have to get together and ultimately come up with one single number of what they believe revenue is going to be for the for the remainder of this fiscal year. And the fiscal year that will start October 1 and the the numbers aren't good after several years in a row of oh my god more money oh my god more money I can't believe we still have more revenue coming in we have we have crusted and we are now on the descent so we saw some some pretty big jumps from where the same body was in January about what it assumed revenue was going to be right down by 1.8 billion dollars for the year that's going to start October 1st and what they assume that revenue is going to be that makes their job for all the legislators, and we'll talk to Graham Filler about this, harder. Right there, there was more money to go around. And that means it makes it a little easier to make sure everyone's priorities get something. Those are going to start getting, when it's tighter, there's going to be some harder decisions to be made. People who thought they were getting something might not get anything. And that's heavily because of COVID, like relief money, ARPA dollars and stuff like that, or... That's why we had so for the last few years, those numbers were so high or am I off on that? 
Well, it's part of it. That's certainly a, a, a major part of it. And there are assumptions on what the, that level of growth is going to be in the coming months. And I think there's less optimism at this point about what that's going to mean going forward here. But a lot of it is linked to recent tax changes that the legislature enacted. They hadn't been enacted in January the last time they did this. So the corporate income tax earmarks, increases to the earned income tax credit, something we actually supported, right. uh, retirement taxation changes in delivery and install in installation exemptions. This is a lot of wonky stuff, but it gives you the basic, the, the, the punchline is there's less money because we frankly passed some tax cuts for some that are going to bring in less revenue to the state. And so now we have that to deal with. And that means less less revenue assumed for the coming year. That means harder choices to come for, for the budget that we anticipate to be finalized in the next three to four weeks. Uh, so a lot to come on that. So speaking of making their jobs harder, how does that, that could potentially impact some of our legislative priorities? Yeah. You call it a vacation with me going to Mackinac Island next week. <laughs> I'm going to be talking to a lot of people on behalf of this industry about some of the priorities like ProStart yep. and why they should be funded in this budget and the kind of return on investment that we generate that is, I mean, 10X feels like it's not even uh, doing justice to what we are able to do to prepare a workforce for this industry going forward with a very small uh, appropriation that, that comes our way. So we've got a lot of work to to make sure in diminished opportunity that we will have some of these priorities uh, still in there for this association in this industry. Speaking of, not to jump back to plaudits, but we have not recorded this episode or this podcast since, I don't think, the National ProStart Invitational in Washington, D.C. Were there any takeaways from from that event, did we bury the lead? Is it, but it's been it's been a little bit now. But right. Yes. National competition. Uh, so fifty two organizations, fifty two state winners of their own state competitions for Pro Start Culinary and Restaurant Management went to D.C. and competed. And who came out number one? The Mitten State, baby. The Mitten State, Michigan. The team from Plymouth Canton was the culinary champion uh, this year. And those guys have been national celebrities, frankly. A lot of interviews and opportunities for them since then. Michigan State University, uh, on our Capital Day, came in person to offer each one of these winners a $4,000 scholarship to go to the School of Hospitality Business at MSU. Go green. Go white. There we go. And uh, and then we got to get them announced on the Senate and House floor. So excited. Exciting day for them. Exciting day for us, frankly. So good job for the kids. Absolutely. Representative Graham Filler was first elected to serve in the Michigan House of Representatives in November 2018. He represents the 93rd House District, which encompasses portions of Clinton, Gratiot, Ionia, Montcalm, and Saginaw counties. Filler serves as the Republican vice chair on the House Criminal Justice Committee. He also serves as a member on the Health Policy Committee and Regulatory Reform Committee. Previously, Filler chaired the House Judiciary Committee and served as a member of the Agriculture, Elections, and Ethics and Health Policy Committees. That's a lot of committees. Since becoming a state representative, Filler has led efforts to improve Michigan's criminal justice system. He earned national attention for spearheading reforms to expand the number of individuals eligible for expungement, opening new doors for people to access new and better employment, education, and housing opportunities. Filler was born and raised in Ovid, graduating from Ovid Elsie High School in 2002. He went on to Miami University in Ohio, where he earned a bachelor's degree in politics, philosophy, and law. He then earned his law degree from the University of Detroit Mercy in 2009. From 2011 to 2018, Filler served as an assistant attorney general with the Michigan Attorney General's Office. 
During this time, he worked closely with crime victims and members of law enforcement, gaining a deep appreciation for police officers and the work they do to protect the communities they serve. Filler and his wife, Alicia, live in Clinton County with their two children, Claire and Christian. An active volunteer, Filler is involved with the St. John's Kiwanis Club, Safe Center, and Big Brothers Big Sisters. All right, Representative Filler, welcome to the What's With the Pineapple podcast as our first elected official to join us as a guest. Ooh, big honor for you. Well, I'm, you know, very well known. <laughs> a Ron Burgundy-ish figure here in the Lansing. Should we start over? <laughs> uh, no, Cut. I like it. Cut. Cut. <laughs> uh, let's start with a softball question to set the stage for our many listeners. Why did you decide to run for office? You know, this actually was just brought up on the House floor. Uh, Mayor Duggan called from DeWitt. I'm sorry, from Detroit. He doesn't live in DeWitt. And he said, there's a little line that needs to be changed by an AG opinion. And my legal folks tell me it needs to be changed by the AG's office. And I was up with Shooty as an AAG. It's the Attorney General, Bill Shooty at the time. Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, shorthand. And I went up there and I said, okay, he's right. Duggan's right. His legal people are right. We need to make the change. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, no, he's right. So I play all the games. I get to know everybody. Uh, I talk to all the the experts. And then eventually they're like, yeah, you are right. So they make the change. The legislation passes. And it allows Detroit to either raise or beautify homes. And as we know, everyone knows, the greatest thing that really crushed the city of Detroit was, was crime and was blight. And I was like, oh, my God, I can make this massive difference in the sort of political and policy arena if I can do that here at the AG's office, I could expand. And so I started taking steps to be in my community more, you know, see who would back me. And I ran and I won by a lot and it was awesome. So, but that was the start when you kind of learn that running, you can really impact things at a, at a massive scale. Yeah. That's a really good reason to run actually. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. Um, before I let Justin out of, out of the gate here with all the very specific questions and let you guys go at it. So a little easier one. What's been the most surprising thing you've learned about the job since being elected and or the most common misconception you've learned since actually being an elected official? There's some positives and there's some negatives I want to share. One of the negatives, I guess, is people just do things because interest groups tell them to. I know that sounds like a terrible, terrible thing to say, uh, but you, you sit there and you're like, that's just a really clearly a bad bill. That's not going to do what you think it is. But you just like that group that told you you should sign off on it and you're just going to go forward. And that's like, I mean, that it's just it should make you a little cynical about some things like that. But one of the positives is if you care about policy and you're willing to spend a little bit of time, then you can really work in a bipartisan way to do some unbelievable things across the board. And I wanted my personality to be the same in the majority as is in the minority no matter what, like I'm just going to be me. And so when we lost a majority, when the Republicans did, even though it's slim, I just said, I'm going to keep working on these policies. I'm not going to go in a shell. I'm not going to become super partisan. I'm just going to be me. And so I'm on a bunch of bills and we'll continue to work on them because I think they're good policy, different, maybe tactics, different atmosphere, but I just want to be me going forward. And so I've tried to be really honest and transparent. Here's why I support a bill. Maybe I won't be with you all the time, but I'll be with you on the next issue. So, I like that. It's how you got into this in the first place. You are clearly a Republican, Repu- uh, elected as a Republican multiple times. Congratulations Good to you. Times, yeah. But got your start because you worked with the Democratic mayor 
who had a take and that you agreed with, whether that was politically the thing that should have happened or not. You believed in the policy. You got into the arena. It still has to be an interesting transition to deal with being in majority and being able to control outcomes a lot more, right? In Michigan, for for those listening that don't follow this really closely, like we are employed to do, Michigan had Republican leadership in, in the trifecta since the 2010 election through 2018, and then had split government after that. And for the first time in 40 years now, we're operating with them majorities. And so that's not in your repertoire to understand how to work like that, but you have adapted really quickly while several of your your colleagues maybe not as quick to try to work collaboratively to still try to achieve results what do you what do you, how did you how do you frame your approach to to the job towards that end when when it feels like it's real easy to just be polarized cuz so many go to their corners but you're actually still out there trying to make things happen so being in the legislature is like a build your own adventure You can do nothing. That's a really weird thing to say. You can do everything. You can do too much. I sign every bill that comes to my desk, you know. But I loved working on policies. I'll give you a great example. I remember it was um, Uber and somebody else that came to me and they said, background checks. You remember this old battle? They said the Supreme Court is going to destroy background checks in the state of Michigan. We're no longer going to be able to do a basic background check. And we we don't believe they're doing it via correct means. And I said, okay, I'll listen. So I listened which is something we should discuss about more. Listening is good. I listened and I said, ah, you're actually right. So I drop a bill. I hold a hearing. I get massive stakeholder support. You know, everybody from the chamber to everybody and their mother getting in because they all like background checks. I run the bill as far as I can. And eventually I get sort of a better result that you're able to do background checks in the state of Michigan. And that was the benefit of majority that I could hold that, take that bill, send it to my own committee, right? Hold a hearing, So maybe I can't do that to that extent in the minority, but maybe I can really push on policies and try to get Dem support if I believe it's the right thing and um, or ask the hard questions in committee. So I just really, really staying focused on policy. It's really easy to go into a shell and say, well, I'm not in the majority anymore. I don't control anything. So I'm just going to fire bombs and vote no. Or you can really listen and try to pay attention to see if there are good policies out there. Shouldn't be that hard, but it's a rare trait. Oh, it's really hard. No, think about it though. Who decides to run for office? Like you don't. You have a job. You have a job. You're not. You're not running for office right now, right? A lot. You have to make a lot of sacrifice and open yourself up to public scrutiny. The joke was like, man, I run for office, Graham, but I want to just shop in Walmart without people stopping me and saying and telling me about whatever. But I love those conversations, so I'm okay with giving this time to, I guess, to public service. About term limits, though. Talk to me about that, right? You, you're going to a job. You're clearly good at it. You can work with people on all sides of the aisle. You're pushing good pu- public policy forward. But you know, no matter how good you are at your job, even if the people of your district really want to keep you elected, that you run up, up to a wall at some point on term limits. So how does that impact your thoughts on Two things I want to mention. Number one, I'm a lawyer. And so this is fun. It's a little more fun than being a lawyer. Not that I didn't love it because I got into some crazy things and great cases and ways where I was able to really fight for victims. But this is an extension of being a lawyer with the policy reading and the committee work and criminal justice and things like that. But also I was, I was raised by, you know, a, a, a father who's a writer, a philosopher. He's passed now. Uh, my mother is a historian and a professor and a writer and th- this feels like right for me. I was raised without a TV, all reading, all books about history and these men and women who've been remarkable throughout history sort of 
moving our nation or state in certain ways. So I feel like I love this. This is like all the things I read as a kid and I get to play it out. I actually get to be that person, if only for this short time. And at some point I'll have to move on, right? Professor Filler, post-legislative career? I don't know. I don't have any concept. I don't have like set dreams. Is that a weird thing to say? But Yes. I, okay, that's weird. <laughs> Some people have like, I'm going to go be this. I've always been like, I'm going to do the best I can wherever I am and see what opportunities exist. So right now, I'm in the state house. Maybe. It's very zen. You're in the moment. Yes. Why yeah. worry about something you can't control though? Sounds far more peaceful than the life that I live. <laughs> Joe, I think that's our lead in. Let's pivot to this industry a little bit. Uh, you made a lot of friends in your district uh, as it relates to this industry. You became a, a bit of a legend amongst those of us working amongst restaurants during the very challenging pandemic era uh, when you went on a district-wide uh, tour to visit Almost all of them. You really made a, a, a concerted effort to meet with several restaurants throughout your district during COVID to understand what they were going through. What was that like? It's actually really eye-opening because until I've never, I was a line chef at the Mac. I was a snack shack chef at the Michigan Athletic Club about 20 years ago. Actually, a phenomenal job. I was a grilled cheese king. We talked about summer jobs earlier. That's a, that's um, a good edit. That was a good one right there. But uh, We might have to make Grilled Cheese King the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't make okay. But I, 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 until you've sat down with the, uh, the owners and seen the bags under the eyes and seen how they're keeping people employed in the community. We did one podcast with in St. John's. You remember this one about um, Swanee's? Mm-hmm. And Swanee's and the Wheel are the legendary greasy spoons in St. John's. Like, you know, at all hours open, food's phenomenal, everyone talks to you. The, the, the Wheel closes down and, and Swanee's hires all those people. And those people were like, you know, had families and we're making good money and tips. And, and then Swanee's balloons because everyone's like, that's awesome. So we shot that podcast. And Dana, who's the, the Swanee's owner, is just like the most salt of the earth, real human being. And so you get to know real people and you get to know their struggles and their cares and they don't care about partisan shit. Can I swear on the podcast? It's encouraged. It felt like a podcast. Strongly encouraged. They don't care about the partisan aspect. They just want to provide an awesome service. They want to be part of the placemaking. St. John's a great example of a town that kind of used to suck downtown and now is awesome uh, with small businesses peppered one after the other, small restaurants. So I met the real people and I listened and we actually have done two small business tours now because it's the only way you get to know people. Nice. Yeah. So on that note, you know, people are sick of hearing about the pandemic or COVID. We try not to even use these words on this podcast because we've talked about it enough. But the reality is that the hospitality industry is still struggling from all of the things that you learned about when you were on that restaurant tour. And the hospitality industry is having the slowest employment recovery in the Great Lakes region. What do you think our state leaders can do to support the industry and the staff workforce issues that we're facing? The number one thing our state can do is not just hammer restaurants with extra regulations or forced unionization or just bizarre overreach from state departments. I mean, just stay away from these restaurants. Let the market work on them. People have great ideas. You've seen what happened, what's happened in the brewery industry. I mean, how many small breweries have been put in small towns that have been then key to the uh, revitalization of that small town that otherwise is teetering on almost being, you know, tumbleweeds. And so just stay away. Let that market work. 
you know, pray for this court case to not be taken up by the Supreme Court dealing with um, earned uh, tip, tip credit. credit. Thanks, guys. It's been a long day. <laughs> uh, that That's the best thing we can do. Because sometimes people have just got a couple extra dollars and they want to invest it in their community. And the last thing you want to do is, is just crush them. So that would be my great advice right there. Leave us alone. Let us do our thing. Yes. That's what I'm hearing. It's been awesome. Small businesses should just be left alone as long as they're following state and federal rules. And that would be my advice. Okay, let's hit on a piece of legislation that you are working on very closely. Impacts this industry, at least those near major universities. We're going to talk about college booze, aren't we? Yeah. Let's go. That's a good one. All right. House Bill 4328 allows universities in Michigan to see alcohol uh, at certain on-campus sporting events. So your Michigan-Michigan State football game, you can now have a beer while you watch the game in the stadium, should this pass. Some There's a perception that this industry would be opposed to that, and there's certainly a history of those saying, why am I competing against government-subsidized competition, right? But a lot of us actually see this as, as opportunity, right? That that if you're bringing new, if, if, if getting a liquor license at Spartan Stadium brings a huge concert, maybe this is an opportunity for- What do people say about U2 when they came to East Lansing? It was like the most money that's ever been spent in East Lansing for one night. I actually thought you meant Emily and I. What do people say oh, about Emily and I when you say U2? No, U2, no. the band. Yeah, I was yeah. at that concert, and you were right. The entire city of East Lansing and the surrounding area was flooded. It was great for the industry. Yeah. All right. You want you want me to, you want the elevator pitch real quick? Let's do it. Okay. All right. First of all, it's a fairness issue. You can drink in the suites, but not in the seats at most of these larger establishments. It doesn't make any sense. Second of all, it's a public safety issue. Everybody knows at Michigan State, you sit there, and it's 30 minutes to go until kickoff, and you say... Uh, I can't get a beer in the stadium. All right, pound the two-hearted and then take two shots. And then you stumble in and some can handle it, some can't. Then you get public intoxication issues. Then you get fights. Then you get health issues. That's not what we want like government to sort of inspire. And so let's just ease that off a little. The universities who have done it across the country have seen lower binge drinking, have seen lower violent incidents. Um, I would also argue modernization. I mean, Michigan State, especially in the NIL and the recruiting, is battling against all these other schools. And so if, you know, if I've got some D1 kid and I go to Maryland and have this great, you know, uh, immersive game time atmosphere experience, then great. Go to Michigan State and they're stuck in the 60s. Maybe I don't send my kid there. So that's at the base of it. Mostly those are, most of these other places will put a hard limit, though, after the third quarter. Do you agree with the same level of limitation on timeline? Yeah, so we didn't write in. Um, we wrote in a, a relatively tight timeline into the bill, but I will just say that universities have safety as their paramount because the last thing Michigan State wants is somebody drinking too much at a football game and falling in the Grand River and drowning. That It just damaged them. It damages the whole atmosphere. So all the universities who will put this in will add something like you know third quarter. You know, like in baseball, it's a seventh or eighth inning or whatever it is. All universities have sort of like plans ready to go who are planning to do this. I like that. I think that'd be the one area you would get pushback of if, if those are the surrounding locations, restaurants, bars, et cetera, that why are we incentivizing people to want to stay in a stadium past an event when there are options after an event? Uh, the way we wrote it was originally, and we were just like, 
writing a, bro- a bare bones draft. It was like for a noon game at Spartan Stadium, it'd be like 10 a.m. Right. Uh, till, you know, two hours after the game. And the bar owners were like, eh. Yeah, it's not going to fly. So we agree. So we, we <laughs> narrowed it down. We did. Okay. But listen, on the whole, on the, uh, I, I think it creates new economic opportunities for any one of these university towns that they don't have right now. And that's that's a benefit to this industry. So for the hotels, for the restaurants. So uh, on, on the whole, I, I like it. I think we're going to find a, some common ground in I love some it. particulars. Thank but uh, I appreciate you willing to talk on the record about it. Yeah. No, this is hopefully coming up for a hearing soon. So, And I love the, the back and forth with uh, MRLA. You know, one of the best groups to work with in the city. It's the intro clip. Just a lot of honesty and, yeah, good group to work with. So thanks for your help on this, Bill. I like that positivity. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot to that we talk about way too much on here. I, I talk about demographic collapse on this uh, podcast, maybe a little too much. We've actually already talked about it on this episode. Yeah, it's it a little dire. Quick. It's a little dire. I mean, listen, you probably read, you're, you're a man of this town, the Bridge Magazine expose last week about Michigan's population dearth, the fact that we are 49th of 50 states in growth, the fact that our population is older, not younger, is a challenge going forward. You are a man who looks for good solutions. How are we going to deal with this? This impacts, obviously, this industry. We can't, we can't grow if the state's not growing. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts about how to address this issue? All right, so I'll just get right into it. Make the state really attractive, right? At every level. This isn't a one-off to Ford or to a gigantic corporation. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. It is what it is. Uh, But that doesn't save a state. We are not known as being friendly bureaucratically for businesses. And so if you have a small business and you're looking to relocate and you go to Ohio, I've been told that they get back to you within two weeks, sort of their version of the MEDC. And they're like, here's everything. Here's how we might help you. Here's where we could place make you just this remarkably. Here's a check. Right. Come to our state right now. And they have gardening, too. So we've had one offs and highlights and hits and misses. But like holistically, we're not very good. And so I'm on this package with business leaders from Michigan that's essentially saying, like, here are all the big giant things we can do that are sort of bipartisan. One of them is uh, R&D tax credits, right, which would drive engineers to come here. Great. We need it. You need engineers are awesome, right? Um, One of them is customer service at the MEDC or around the MEDC for businesses that want help that are here and businesses that want to come here. So additional individuals working on the customer service front. Anything we can do to say Michigan is open for business, Michigan wants to attract you and your family to come here, things like lower taxes, right? But it's holistic. And so that's something I'm working on. So holistically, we're not good right now. Uh, We're just not. Uh, We're known as a, a heavy bureaucracy state. And until we cut through that, I don't know how to put put out a better emotion. No, I think you nailed it perfectly. The, the one-offs are not the way to go. And I have you know real concern, and maybe you view this as opportunity, but it feels like Michigan has the possibility to ping back and forth in terms of its political majorities. And are we going to have a consistent set of policies, holistic to use your term, that can actually continue to recruit and be growth driven as we have different majorities, different parties over the long term. The inability to have that kind of long term planning is what concerns me. I've got a friend who's got a Utah hub and a Detroit hub, and they're like, well, Utah is always going to be conservative. We know it. So we know where investment is. We know who the key people are. We know how to speak the language. 
And in Michigan right now, it might be good for this, whatever we're working on in two years, it might be off the table. So where do you think we're going to long-term invest? So until we do fix it sort of from the from the base up, we're going to be in trouble. Agreed. All right, let's, pit, let's, let's finish on something light. We always have a lightning round around here. Try to keep it light, try to keep it fun. Let's get some of that, that filler charm mixed right in as we conclude. Emily, hit us with some lightning round questions. A light lightning round. All right, quick questions here. Last song you listened to? Uh, Backstreet Boys. The entire collection? No, it's just, <laughs> I want it that way. Huh. You are. Nope. Oh. <laughs> my the one. I was born in 1983, okay? It's a generational song. It is. It is, and I appreciate you bringing your version of it to this Desire. podcast. That's so interesting, because I was born in 1993, and it was a generational song for me. So how old were you when the album came out? I was like 15. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last show you streamed. Backstreet Boys documentary? <laughs> this is the No Strings Attached uh, in-depth uh, world tour. Last show, boy, I don't really watch shows anymore. Justified, you guys remember Justified? Timothy Oliphant, just brilliant, brilliant Kentucky crime show. I think that's the last thing I watched. It's like a TNT or a USA Network kind of a show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I, am I you got ballpark? it. Oh, yeah, you All got right. it. Yeah, yeah, it was TBS. Nice. TBS. Close. Nice. nice. All right, what is your favorite restaurant in Michigan? Oh, my God, that's an amazing question. <laughs> I just did uh, the Jolly Pumpkin, which I thought was very enjoyable. Some fantastic meal. Any slancing? Yeah. I will say probably the best pizza in the state of Michigan is Main Street Pizza. And that's throughout Clinton and Gratiot County. Maybe some other, Shiawassee too. And I mean, this is just like, go there now. Now, I've been eating it since I was like two years old, right? So it's like, it's like the best thing in the world. It's home, yeah. But that's, it's the freshest. It's not New York style. It's not Detroit style. It's kind of in the middle of everything. Everything's fresh. Everything's brilliant. It's the same pizza I had when I was two. Now I'm 39. Beautiful. Big four old. Main Street Pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Good plug. Check it out. All right. Last question. What is your go to bourbon of choice? Yeah. I was going to point out that this is a very nice podcast, but the fact that we didn't have bourbon in the studio is massive oversight. Oh, Rabbit Hole. Derringer is one of their finest that they've got going on right now. It's like sherry casks and bourbon. I discovered that on the bourbon trail. Um, So, a big, big shout out to to Rabbit Hole. Maker's Mark, one of their fancy sort of like private select kind of ones. It's unbelievable. I've never seen a bigger difference between like the basic makers and then their special their specialty stuff. I mean, it's next level. And then whatever Justin has in his office because it's very high end. Surely I have no idea what you're talking about. Very high end. We need to get Joe Smalley back. You know, Joe? Yeah, I do. Joe used to have the Brown Water Society. There yeah, was I remember that. group that would that would really, I mean, these were people who really... Connoisseurs. I did just have a Yamazaki. That's a Japanese whiskey. You know Yamazaki? I like how you look at Emily like she's like, you know what I'm talking oh, about. I don't know. It's like... <laughs> I just asked the question. They took Graham. over the Scotch world a couple of years ago. It's just brilliant, brilliant whiskey. You guys are making me very thirsty. Red or white wine? I'm just going to throw one more in there. Oh, red. <sighs> there we go. I was in Bordeaux like two years ago. How am I going to say no? Hmm. Nice. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, man. MRLA is the best. All right, guys. Thank you Appreciate so much. Appreciate it, man. For Thanks for your time. Oh, 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 oh